Job chapter 32. Those of you who have been here in the church for the last few years, uh, some of you might remember that I've spoken from Job chapter 2 the last two years in a row that I've been here. And what we're actually going to do tonight is we're going to continue a little bit uh, uh, on some of the material that I had spoken on uh, the last two years. I think two years ago, I spoke on Sunday night from the book of Job. And then last year, I spoke on Tuesday night from the book of Job. And I know you you think it's amazing that a a, a 67-year-old mind can remember all that. My secretary keeps up with it for me and sends me that information on every trip. But we're going to go back to where we were last year, and we're going to continue on to some more material. But for the sake of the few people that were not here the last couple of years, we'll just very briefly review some of the material we covered before. In the book of Job, we most of us know that Job uh, was suffering, and I won't go back into all of that. But he had three friends who came to visit him, and those three friends and Job had a big, long conversation that lasted all the way from Job chapter 2 to Job chapter 31. Then in Job chapter 32, a fifth person uh, is mentioned for the first time. This fifth person has been there the whole time, but this is the first time he's mentioned. His name is Elihu. So we're going to pick up the story in Job chapter 32 with uh, the introduction of Elihu. So I'm beginning in verse 1. So these three men, Job's friends, ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. And I want you to notice the very first thing we're told about Elihu is that he's angry. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled uh, because he justified himself rather than God. Also, against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and had condemned Job. Now, Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. So the second thing we found out about Elihu is that he's the youngest person in the story of these five people. All right, verse 5. Then Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men. Then his wrath was kindled. That's the fourth time that we're told that Elihu's wrath was kindled. So obviously I'm getting the impression that he's lost his temper. This kid's out of control. He's lost his temper. Verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakal the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not or dared not show you mine opinion. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Elihu's admitting because he's the youngest, he let the older people speak first, which, of course, the Bible teaches all throughout the Bible. Verse 8, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Last year that that verse there is not contradicting the rest of the Bible. It's recording the fact that a young man who has lost his temper blurted out that statement. Great men are not always wise. Neither do the young guy is saying that in a sarcastic way to these older men. All right, verse 10. 
Therefore, I said, hearken to me. I also will show mine opinion. Now, if you skip down to verse 17. I said, this is Lihu still speaking. I said, I will answer also my part. I will show mine opinion. This is the third time now that Elihu has warned these older men that he's about to give his opinion. And I mentioned to you last year that this is the only place in the Bible where anybody ever admits He's giving his own opinion about something. And I think it's extremely interesting that the only person in the Bible who ever just plainly admitting, I'm just giving you my opinion, he was the youngest guy in the group who had lost his temper. All right, let's continue reading. Verse 18. For I am full of the spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent it is ready to burst like new bottles and I explained last year that these bottles were made out of leather and when they put the wine or the grape juice in there if they didn't vent the top as that grape juice began to ferment it would make gas or bubbles and that leather bottle would swell and if they didn't vent the top it would burst and every one of us have been in that situation before where we felt like we had something on the inside of us. We were just dying to let it out. <laughs> we were just dying to give our opinion about something. In fact, in our culture, we have a phrase that we use for that. He's just getting it off his chest. Well, Elihu's saying the exact same thing in a different culture. He's saying, I want to get it out of my belly. All right, so let's continue reading. Verse 19. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak, and here's the whole matter right here, that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. We went into great detail about this last year, but I'll just quickly remind you that we said we often do feel better when we get it off our chest, when we say what we've been wanting to say. Uh, we, we feel better when we say it. But the problem is, those who hear us say it, they don't feel better. And Elihu's admitting here, I'm going to speak so that I may be refreshed. And I told you that uh, I had uh, taken uh, uh, months, one morning a week, uh, one morning per week for six months, and I when I was the president of the college and I conducted the staff meetings every morning, I taught the staff and faculty what you can do or what the Bible teaches that you can do to get people to respect your opinion. That's what Elihu wanted. He wanted these older men to respect his opinion. And so I'm going to go back and just give you the main points. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to go back through all the multitude of scriptures we went through to teach these. But we said, number one, if you want people to respect your opinion, don't give it very often. <laughs> and I admitted that's the one of the, of the 26 points I taught the staff and faculty, that's the one they like the least. <laughs> but the Bible clearly teaches it. All right, but number two, if you want people to respect your opinion, limit most of your opinion to your own areas of responsibilities. Number three, if you want people to respect your opinion, it's usually best, and I didn't say always, but I said usually best, to only give your opinion when you're asked for it. Number four, now, if you're just warning to get it off your chest, then go ahead and give your opinion anytime you want. But if you want people to respect your opinion, it's usually best to only give it when you're asked for it 
are in certain situations, and, and, and we went through that uh, last time. Number four, uh, if you want people to, res to respect your opinion, express more positive opinions than you do negative opinions. Anybody can look at the negative and talk about uh, but if you pick out the positive and talk about that some, then that, that uh, shows other people you're not just trying to put everybody else down. You're trying to build others also, and they'll respect your opinion more. Uh, number five, I said, uh, or the, we taught from the Bible, that if you want people to respect your opinion, only give your opinion when you're totally informed of all the facts. And I'll admit, of the 26 points, that's probably my favorite point. And I just have to tell you the story last year I won't go into as much detail about George Bush the son when he was president asked George Bush the father who had who had been the president for some advice and the father said to the son when you show me your morning reports that you get as president every morning for a month and you let every one of your cabinet members tell me everything they know about this situation then I'll give you my opinion but until then I don't have an opinion <laughs> And I just love that story that it, but you're usually better off to only give your opinion when you're totally informed of all the facts. And I admitted there has been way too many times that Ray Young heard one little statement and blurted out an opinion about something when I really didn't know what all was going on in the whole situation. And number six, I said, if you want people to respect your opinion, spend more time seeking knowledge than you do giving your opinion. And you remember we showed where Elihu gave his opinion for six chapters in a row nonstop. And at the end of those six chapters of his opinion, then God said, who is this young kid that keeps giving his opinion with words without knowledge? <laughs> It, 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 that darkeneth counsel is the way God described it. All right, so that leads us to number seven tonight. Let's go back to uh, Job chapter 32, and I'm going to quickly reread verse 2. It says, uh, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barak, the Buzzite, uh, uh, of the kindred of Ram, against Job with his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Verse 3 also against his three friends was his wrath kindled. Now in verse 5, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. Point number 7 in my outline is this. If you want people to respect your opinion, and I'm going to show you a lot of Scripture tonight. We're going to use more Scripture tonight than probably any time I've ever been here before. Uh, so, so get ready to get your Bibles out, and we're going to go all over the Bible tonight. Uh, but but uh, if you want people to respect your opinion, don't give your opinion while you're angry. Okay? Look at... Uh, 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 Psalm 6 Psalm 6 we're in Job right now so go forward in your Bible a little bit till you come to Psalm 6 and I want to read one verse verse 1 I'm in Psalm 6 I'm going to read verse 1 this is David speaking to God and he says O Lord rebuke me not in thine anger neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure now go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. And Isaiah, keep going a little bit further. You'll come to Jeremiah and go to chapter 10. 
read one verse from here, and then I'll tie the two together. Jeremiah chapter 10, and I'm in verse 24. Jeremiah says to God something similar to what David said. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Can I, can I, can I ask you something? <laughs> if David and Jeremiah both felt like if God, okay, and I know this may sound a little sacrilegious to, to, to say this about God, but if David and Jeremiah both felt like if God would calm down a little bit first before he corrected them, that they would have a better chance of surviving. Don't you think if they thought God, they would have a better chance to get a square deal from God, I mean God, if he would calm down for, don't you think you and I would treat each other better if we had calmed down first before we react, before we give our opinion about, about something? Uh, if, 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 if we're angry, the best thing to do is the same thing that Jeremiah and David were begging God to do Please calm down first. <laughs> I know I need to be corrected, but if you'll calm down first. I, I, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah said, if you correct me right this minute while you're mad, you may bring me to nothing. <laughs> what he was saying is, you might, okay, you might cancel. What's that thing they call now? Cancel? You've been canceled? Is, is that that new thing that they, 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 they talk about? Is that, am I saying the right word? Yeah. yeah. Cancel culture, yeah. Well, that's what Jeremiah was telling God. You may cancel me if you don't calm down first. Now, turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. If all we did tonight was come to church and read these two verses that I'm about to read in the book of Proverbs... And all of us would believe these two verses. It would be worth coming to church tonight. <laughs> it, it would transform most of our lives. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 and look at verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You know what he's saying there? He's saying if you want to have a friend, if you pick out your friend, if, if your friend is an angry person, and that doesn't mean someone who got angry one time. That, that's, that's not an angry person. An angry person is a person who that's their nature. That's their culture. That's their norm. That's, that's average for them. They stay angry a lot about a lot of... He said if you pick that person as your friend, it's going to snare your soul. Now, you think last night's story was bad. Tonight's story is totally uh, uh, politically incorrect in this society today. But I'm going to tell you, uh, have any of you ever read the book Where the Red Fern Grows? Yeah, or did your teacher read that book to you when you were kids? And my, that's what my teacher read that book to us. It's a story about a boy that lived down in Missouri, and he was so poor he couldn't afford these hound dogs that he wanted. He wanted some hound dogs so he could go coon hunting, but he didn't have the money to buy the hound dogs, so he went out to 
trap some coons so that he could sell their skins so he could have enough money to buy some dogs so he could catch more coons. <laughs> but in the story, he, it tells how he didn't have enough money to buy a steel trap to catch the coon with. So this boy goes out in the woods and he finds a log going across a creek. And he takes an old auger drill. Any of you know what that is? The old-fashioned kind where you press down on the top and you twist it like this. Yeah, there you go. And, and it drills a hole. He took this auger drill out into the woods uh, where the log went across the creek. He found the coon tracks going across the log, so he knew that's where they crossed. And he drilled a hole in that log. And then he put something shiny in the bottom of that hole because coons are curious. If they see something shiny, they'll stop and pick it up. And this is the part is that today is politically incorrect. But you've got to remember this book was written about 100 years ago. <laughs> and my teacher read it to me about 50-something years ago. But uh, 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 th th what he did was he took three eight-penny nails and he drove them in the log at an angle from three different sides of the hole to where the nail, the sharp point of the nail was angled down into the hole from three different directions and it created a funnel. And that coon would cross the log in the middle of the night. Coons only come out at night basically. And they would cross the log in the middle of the night and from the reflection of the moon they'd see that shiny marble in that hole. And with his little skinny paw, he would stick his hand through the funnel of those nails and make a fist to grab the marble. And now with his fist, when he tried to pull it back out, it snared him. The nail stuck in his hand. And we did that when I was a kid. My, brothers, my brother and I, we, we wanted to, to trap coons. We couldn't afford the traps. Mr. Rambrose had them in his store. We had a little store in the town not too far from us. It was the kind of store where literally on one shelf, the bread was right here. The steel traps were right here. And the round keg of nails were right here, all on the same shelf in the store. Reminds me of the story of the fella that was traveling across country and he stopped at the little country store and he went in and they had one loaf of bread and every shelf in the entire store, the little country store, little one-room country store, every shelf, floor to ceiling, was full of salt. Every table salt, rock salt, uh, every, just salt. So blocks of salt, just, just every shelf full of salt. And the fella looked at the owner and he said, Man, you must sell a lot of salt. He said, No, I, I rarely ever sell salt. He said, But that salesman that came by here yesterday, he could sure sell salt. <laughs> That's what Mr. Rambrose's story used to remind me of. It was about like that. And they had those steel traps, but my brother and I couldn't afford them. So we did what the guy in the book did. We drilled the hole, put the nails in, but we found out something. You have to go check your trap before daylight. Because if you, now this is the part that's politically incorrect, so just forgive me, I'll say it and move right on. But if you don't check that trap before daylight, that coon will chew his foot off and get away. And you'll have a three-legged coon running around the woods. And we caught more than one three-legged coon in our, in our days. But a time or two, we were the culprit. <laughs> we didn't check our traps uh, early enough. And my point, all of that, and my point is this. When we snared that coon, he was never going to be the same after that. 
he was either going to leave there in our bag, in our pack, on our back, dead because we, we killed him and took him home and sold his skin and all that, or he was going to leave there without his foot. And when you make an angry person your friend and his ways snare you, you'll never be the same again. And that's what that verse is warning you about there. So it's the, the problem is this. If I have the habit of constantly throwing out my angry opinion every time I feel like doing it, well, my best friend's going to get snared by that. I'm going to injure him. Just like we injured those coons, uh, I'm going to injure him. And your best friend is going to be injured by your angry opinion if that's your habit of giving it all the time. That's exactly what that verse is saying there. Now, if you would, go to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to stay here just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament, of course. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, the whole chapter is basically uh, referring to keeping unity by what you say or by what you don't say and especially by how you say it. All right, let's begin in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called with all lowliness and meekness. Those are the two key words here in this chapter. With all lowliness and meekness. When I'm blurting out my angry opinion because I'm just fed up with everything that's happening and I want you to know how I feel about this, that is not lowliness. That is not meekness. All right, let's continue reading verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that those three verses there set the tone for the entire chapter. Skip down to uh, verse 15. Verse 15 says, But speaking tr the truth in love. Okay, can, can you look at me for a moment? <laughs> Have you ever been guilty of what I've been guilty of before? Well, I was just telling the truth. All I did was tell her the truth. All I did was tell him what really happened. <laughs> Okay, just because it's truth doesn't mean it needs to be told. And especially does it not need to be told unless I'm telling it in love. Am I, is the reason I'm telling this is because I'm trying to spread love. That's what that verse 15 there is saying. All right, now if you would skip down to verse 22. Verse 22 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what it's telling us is that we're to renew our spirit. We're to renew our, the spirit of our mind. Now look at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry 
and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Can you look at me just for a moment? How many times have we heard that verse used? Be ye angry and sin not. Well, okay, I got angry, but I didn't murder anybody. I, I got angry, but I didn't hit him in the face. I didn't poke him in the nose. And that's not what that verse is referring to in, 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 at all. The entire chapter is talking about what you say and what you don't say and the spirit behind what you say. God didn't write a whole chapter about what to say and what not to say and what spirit with which to say it and then all of a sudden just change the subject and drop a, a verse there in the middle and then go back to the subject again. No, that verse has as much to do with what you say and don't. What it's saying is be angry and sin not by saying the wrong thing. Be angry and sin not by saying the wrong thing with the wrong tone of voice. Be angry and sin not by saying the wrong thing with the wrong motive. You know, all I did was tell him the truth. <laughs> yeah, but were you trying to hurt him or trying to help him? Look at verse 25 again. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not by what you say or don't say. Let not the sun go down upon thy wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Can you look at me for a moment? What in the world does that have to do with, with not stealing stuff and laboring with your hands so you can give somebody what he needs? What he's saying is this. If you want to help somebody, instead of blurting out your opinion while you're angry, go do some work with your hands. And build something, earn something, gain something with the work of your hands and take part of, okay, if you want to help somebody, give them part of what you earned with the work of your hands instead of just giving them your opinion all the time. How, how many times has, how many times do we find someone who's willing to give us all their opinion, but how many times is that same person willing to give you any of their money? any of their possessions. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to give you my opinion right now. But I'm going to have to think about it if I'm going to give you part of my money. <laughs> and that's what that verse is saying there is, if you want to help somebody, do it with the labor of your hand, not what you say. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Okay, here's the safeguard. Is what I'm about to say going to minister grace to the person who's going to hear it? If it's not, then it's probably not scriptural. Now, when I'm angry, I don't care if it ministers grace or not. I just want to get it off my chest or as, as, as Elihu said I want to get it out of my belly but if what you're about to say before you say it and see if it's going to edify if it's going to minister great look at verse 30 
and. Okay, can you look at me for just a moment? You remember when you were in about the third grade and your, your English teacher taught you that the word and connects two thoughts? The word and means that these two thoughts go together, that they're related to each other, okay? We just read that we were not uh, 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 to speak with corrupt communication. We were to check and make sure that what we're about to say is going to minister grace and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye, should, uh, ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That... Uh, that, that those two verses are telling me that if I speak out of anger to hurt somebody instead of ministering grace, it grieves the Holy Spirit. In other words, if I give my opinion while I'm angry, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. All right, verse, uh, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Can I, can I, can I, uh, can I help you here just for a minute? Every one of us, and, and, and I hope you understand, when I'm teaching the Word of God, I always feel like, I mean, all, and especially something like this. I feel like God is talking to me instead of me talking to you. And right now, God is reminding me, right now, when I read that verse, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. God is reminding me that when I'm all pent up on the inside and I feel like I'm about to burst and I've just got to give my opinion and, and, and I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody and I'm wanting to let them know how I feel. Humanly, I think that if I just go ahead and blurt it out, I'll feel better. But God says, if you'll forgive them, that'll resolve the whole matter. You won't feel pent up on the inside anymore. You won't have that pressure in there. Forgiveness relieves pressure better than angry opinions do. That's what God is saying. All right, turn two more places real quick. First, go to Malachi. Malachi, I'm sorry, Micah, I'm sorry, not Malachi, Micah. In the Old Testament, Micah, one of those little books towards the end of the Old Testament, if you find Amos and then Jonah and then Micah, if you go to find Micah, if you, go to, if you come to Nahum, you, you went too far. Uh, one of those little books in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. We're going to read one verse here and then we're going to go to James and we'll be done. Micah chapter 7, and look at uh, verse 18. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In fact, I've got it written on a card, and I've been carrying it in my pocket for months. Uh, Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Speaking of God, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. You have to get rid of your anger. I know I have been tempted, not just tempted, I have done this too many times. I have gotten rid of my anger 
by blurting out how I feel and telling somebody just how I feel about something. But the way God gets rid of his anger is he delights in mercy. You know what he's saying there? If God wants to have some fun, you know, if we want to have fun, we go fishing. If we, have, we want to have fun, we, we go hunting. If we want to have fun, we go skateboarding. If we want to have fun, we go for a picnic. If we want to have fun, we go watch a ball game. If we want to have fun, we go to uh, Knoxbury Farm. If we want to... If we're rich and we want to have fun, we go to Disney World. <laughs> uh, but, but God, if he wants to have fun, he hands out some mercy. He delighteth in it. I wonder if, I wonder if it would change my spirit if I would learn to have fun giving out mercy and being merciful to someone. One last place, turn to James and we'll be done. James chapter 1, over in the New Testament, close to the end of the Bible. You'll come to the book of Hebrews and then the book of James, James chapter 1. And those of you that know hardly anything at all about the Bible, you probably know exactly where I'm going right now. James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. I don't know how in the world we could talk about this subject without going to these verses, but I saved them to the last on purpose. James chapter 1, verse 19 says... Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Can you look at me for a second? You know what it's saying? If somebody wants to be angry and blurt something out to you or tell you how they feel, be swift to hear. Be big enough to absorb it. We shouldn't leave here tonight thinking... Boy, I hope she was listening and she, she, won't, she won't talk to me that way anymore. I sure hope he was listening and he won't talk to me like that. No, we ought to leave here tonight saying, if somebody else hasn't quite learned all this yet, it's my job to absorb. Okay, I like this statement. It's our job to absorb each other's weak moment. And if you leave here saying, okay, you heard what he said. So I can say anything I want to now. You've got to absorb it. <laughs> you didn't hear one thing I said tonight. But he's saying there we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Can I put it real, 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 real clear? Rarely ever am I in the will of God while I'm giving my opinion while I'm angry. Rarely ever am I in the will of God while I'm expressing my angry opinion about something. That's what I want to do. And that's what I've done way too many times. What God wants me to do, to listen carefully, speak slowly, be very slow to get angry, and to delight. That means kick your heels up. That means clap your hands. That means smile real big. That means say, wow, this is fun. When I have a chance to give out some mercy, 
And you know what mercy is? Mercy is forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it. Well, she'll come apologize. I'll forgive her. That's not mercy. Mercy is giving forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's what God has fun doing. And aren't we glad he is? Aren't we glad? You know, how many times do we sing songs about the mercy of God? And, and boy, I'm saved and I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. And Okay, then why don't we be God-like and start having fun handing out mercy instead of having fun voicing our angry opinions. Now, you can decide, do you want to spend your life letting off the pressure? You remember that pressure cooker your mom used to have? Remember those old-fashioned cast iron pressure cookers that had the little thing on the top that would, when the pressure built up on the inside, uh, that little thing would spin around and around and the steam would come off, you, you know, and then after a few minutes it would calm down and sit there for a few minutes and then a little bit later the steam was going to come out. Okay, you can spend your whole life just letting the steam off every once in a while and being pent up and have all that pressure inside of you or you can learn <laughs> to listen carefully, speak slowly, Enjoy handing out mercy. And you won't have all that pressure built up on the inside. I doubt God ever sets up in heaven and bites his fingernails. He says, man, what am I going to do now? Oh, my goodness, how am I going to get God's relaxed because he hands out mercy. He has fun giving out mercy. I wonder how much more relaxed I would be if I'd learned to do that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I know tonight was not as much fun of a Bible study as some are, but I wonder if tonight's Bible study wouldn't help more marriages than just about any Bible study we've ever had. I wonder if tonight's Bible study wouldn't help more uh, conflicts on the job than just about any Bible study we've ever had. I wonder if tonight's Bible study would help uh, relieve more family tension than just about any Bible study we've ever had. I wonder if tonight's Bible study would help the uh, church to have the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace like, like uh, the Bible spoke of. Father, I